I'm on a melting ice cube of $500 million worth of money. The purchasing power is dwindling at 10 to 20% per year. I have to do something. This was the quote by Michael Thaler, CEO of MicroStrategy. And the 31 page long case study is now out. You will find the link to get it in our description in the show notes. But today we are going to talk about why he went on to say I'm sitting on a $500 million ice cube and how that in turn led him to purchase $425 million worth of Bitcoin. Let's begin. The thoughts and opinions expressed by Keegan Francis, Murgakshi Palway, and the guests interviewed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are solely their own. The content discussed are intended to be for informational purposes only. So jumping right into this, uh, it's useful to give a lot of context behind this situation. We already talked about this $500 million melting ice cube. But I'm sure some of you are curious as to what that melting ice cube actually is and why it's melting and what can be done about a $500 million melting ice cube. So some background context to this. There's a company called MicroStrategy. They're traded on the NASDAQ. They're a multi-billion dollar strategy company. They're and, a publicly traded company. Yeah, they build business intelligence for <clears throat> excuse me, companies all over the world. And... They have cash reserves, uh, like many successful companies do. Uh, Twitter has billions of dollars worth of cash reserves. Square has billions of dollars. Apple has billions of dollars. This company had uh, half a billion dollars, so $500 million of cash reserves denominated in the US dollars. This is the $500 million melting ice cube, according to the CEO of MicroStrategy, Michael Saylor. The reason why he thinks it's a melting ice cube is because, well, if you look at a, an ice cube and it's melting, the ice cube is shrinking. It's getting to be less than it is before. Uh, the reason why it's melting is due to inflation. And we've talked a lot about inflation on this show. And this case study is intended to give our audience an idea of, OK, great inflation. Is it happening? Yes. And what do people actually do to combat it? And uh, this is the story of, of Michael Saylor and how he combats inflation with his company. Yeah, just for a quick note too, MicroStrategy is an international company. They, they might have their headquarters out of the United States, but they have locations all over the world. And in he's been interviewed on two different podcasts uh, called The Pond Podcast and What Bitcoin Did. And we encourage you to go and listen to that. We'll link that in the show notes as well. He tells an incredible story of how multiple times, or he's recounted two stories of how he wanted to move his money, move money from the company, from a country that was going to go through inflation or hyperinflation, but he couldn't. And how he essentially lost over half of his wealth. 92% actually. Okay, there we go. I was yeah. being generous then. <laughs> 92% of his wealth overnight. So this is the experience that Michael Taylor comes through. There's another quote that we've um, put in the, the, the case study, and it goes like this. This is not a speculation, nor a hedge. It is a deliberate corporate strategy to adopt the Bitcoin standard. Right. And so when, that, when you hear that this company bought uh, $425 million worth of Bitcoin for a company, 
E. You kind of scratch your head, especially if you've never heard of Bitcoin, especially if it's if, if you're new to it and all you've heard of it is in the news. So it's it's used for la- drug drug laundering and uh, and money laundering, not drug laundering, <laughs> selling drugs and money laundering. Right. That That's usually the narrative that people are exposed to with respect to Bitcoin. So th- the, the fact that this company turned their U.S. dollar, their highly respected U.S. dollar cash reserves into this weird Internet currency it's worth understanding why it's worth knowing why this company why the ceo went down that path yeah and so that quote this is not a speculation nor a hedge it's a deliberate corporate strategy to adopt the bitcoin standard this person sees something coming that other companies did not or do not or maybe they don't have the confidence that michael saylor did uh but really cool aspect about this is that he was not an individual in in the company. He's one member of the board of five. And so when he thinks, okay, I'm going to go and turn this our cash reserves into Bitcoin, he doesn't get to make that decision by himself. Uh, he needs to go and convince four other people to to go and do this. And that's exactly what he did. Uh, all They eventually had a unanimous decision. And so maybe those four other people weren't so exposed to Bitcoin, but yet at the end of the day, they came to the same conclusion that Michael Saylor did, that this was the best strategy to stop the melting of their $500 million ice cube. Right. So two weeks ago, someone sent me Paul Kruger's, Kruger, Krugman, Krugman. Oh gosh, the the Nobel Prize winning economist. Yeah, King is going to make sure we get his name right. I think it's Kruger. It's, it's Krugman. Krugman? Yep. Okay, there we go. Sorry about that, folks. So Paul Krugman writes for the New York Times, and he has written multiple articles on Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. And in one particular article, he explicitly concludes by saying one thing, one question that no one has been able to answer is what problems exactly do cryptocurrencies solve? So with an answer... To that particular question, Paul, if you're listening, or anybody who has that same question, I'm going to read out a certain portion of this case study, and it's in the $500 million melting ice cube section. It goes like this. Exactly what problem was MicroStrategy looking to solve by buying Bitcoin? Michael Saylor had used a unique metaphor to describe the issue faced by MicroStrategy, and that was the I'm on a melting cube, of, melting ice cube of $500 million worth of money. The purchasing power is dwindling at 10 to 20% per year, and I have to do something. In an effort to state the problem in simple terms, MicroStrategy was trying to preserve the purchasing power of their company treasury. They perceived the $500 million cash position as dwindling in purchasing power. Now, just a really quick comment here. Paul Krugman also talks about how inflation is good for the economy. And I think that we are inflating what problem inflation actually solves by saying inflation is good because we know that it isn't good. There's ample evidence that suggests that if you keep increasing the supply of um not the supply yeah the supply supply, the supply of any particular asset it becomes weaker with time weaker in purchasing power weaker in purchasing power in time and um something that i wanted to say to micro strategy perceiving 
um, the $500 million cash position as dwindling in purchasing power is... I forgot the point that I was trying to make. Well, I had something really I might, smart I to might say. finish it for yeah, you. Yeah, go ahead. It's like, it, that's the correct perception. It's, it just kind of looks like MicroStrategy is willing to look at the problem for what it is and then willing to look at solutions that uh, like they didn't evaluate Bitcoin as the only solution to their problem. Right. Like so there's a whole section of this case study. So it's like, what do you do with five hundred million dollars cash? Like once you arrive at the conclusion that this this is a melting ice cube. It's like, okay, I got to get rid of my cash. Then I got to put it into precious metals or real estate or something that preserves the purchasing power over time. What do you do with it? Right. I remember the point that I was trying to make. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm good yeah. at covering for you in those yeah, like yeah. little transition uh, periods. For sure. It's like I'm thinking of five <laughs> things at a time and I forget the, the fourth thing that I wanted to actually arrive at. So yeah, with respect to people saying that inflation is good and it being perceived as something that is good in the short term. We only look at inflation as the solution to a problem because we perceive inflation as the immediate solution to access to capital. But inflation is just um, covering up for the actual solution, which is giving an economy access to capital. And that can be achieved using other methods. So that's just kind of a point that I wanted to make. And then Moving on to, in the same paragraph, cash loses its purchasing power over time due to inflation of the total supply of cash in the economy. The absolute amount of cash in one's account does not decrease, rather the number of goods and services one can purchase for that amount of cash decreases over time. So that's that. Yeah, I just wanted to put that in there saying that inflation is really, I, I just, I don't, uh, people have said publicly that inflation is a good thing and I can see their argument, but inflation is just the only solution that we've looked at. Um, but the, the actual underlying problem that it's solving is giving an economy access to cash and that can be achieved using other methods. We just have to look and use them. That's right. Yeah, that that's a part of just evaluating solutions for um, for what they are uh, and not coming to the solution with a bias. So if I walk into a boardroom and say, hey, okay, we're going to buy Bitcoin, like I got to be really careful with who I say that to, right? Like that's not going to be taken seriously by the majority of people when in reality, uh, like if I knew about the problem going into the boardroom and I, like, oh, hey, I, we, we're, we perceive our cash reserves to be dwindling, like what do you think we should do about it? Uh, like buying Bitcoin is not the first thing that comes to people's mind. Uh, the next the next section of this case study, we talk about uh, like what what is actually done with five hundred million dollars cash. And it turns out that, yeah, they did actually evaluate, OK, should we buy gold? Should we buy real estate? Uh, how do you actually get a hold of five hundred million dollars worth of real estate or gold? And they eventually just arrived at buying Bitcoin. They, they only bought Bitcoin. It's not like they diversified that five hundred million into a bunch of different things. No. No, they, they bought one thing and one thing only. And one can say that they put all of their eggs in one basket. And that's not a really great strategy because you will hear people say that you need to diversify your portfolio so that you are hedging against some of your investments. But here they were looking at it on a much bigger scale and they were hedging against the purchasing power of their US dollar with buying Bitcoin. Yeah, so on the whole eggs in one basket kind of scenario, like what's your cash position? How much how much money do you have? How much of your eggs are in the cash basket? 
because that's uh i mean according to the, the michael saylor that's that's a pretty risky basket to be in that's too risky for him to be comfortable with uh, one one thing that it, i remember him saying in one of these episodes was that he he felt like he had a responsibility to his shareholders to preserve the purchasing power that's ultimately what led him down this road of considering bitcoin as the solution to this problem it's like okay i've got this 500 million and I can let it evaporate, let it melt. But am I really being a good CEO at that point? If, if, I, if I let this do that? Um, no, I would say. I would say observing and considering many options of what to do with it is, is the right decision. Yeah, and I also want to say that um, something that you've written in here, Keegan, um, these are your words because I really like them when you first wrote them, is that um, they didn't buy real estate. They didn't buy the hottest property looking over uh, Central Park. They also didn't um, buy investments into other companies because the underlying asset that... Um, is pegged to each of those investments is still the US dollar. So I'm going to read um, a small paragraph from page eight of the case study and it goes like this. Each of the aforementioned assets are intricately linked to the underlying unit of account, USD. If MicroStrategy was looking to de-risk their primarily USD denomination treasury, they wouldn't do this by purchasing more USD denominated assets. Right, so like the, one of the really cool things about this is Yes, Bitcoin, you can think of Bitcoin in terms of how much US dollars it's worth. But the other way to think about Bitcoin is how much Bitcoin do I own? How much of the total supply of Bitcoin do I own? It's kind of like a score, right? So this is one way to think about inflation too. If I've got a million US dollars, the reason why the purchasing power goes over time, it goes down over time is because uh, let's just say there's 100 million US dollars in existence and I have $1 million of it. I own 1% of all the wealth, okay? But... If then, you know, the, the Federal Reserve creates another hundred million dollars, so they double the total supply, suddenly my wealth decreased by a factor of two. It decreased by half. And that's just not possible with Bitcoin. So they've, uh, MicroStrategy's got a total of 38,250 Bitcoin now. No one can take away the percentage of Bitcoin, the, the total amount of Bitcoin that they have. They will always have that amount of Bitcoin which is really, really quite fascinating. And the other thing to consider is also liquidity. Let's say again, for example, real estate. Again, a paragraph that um, is in the case study, page 12. It says that um, an asset traded on traditional markets is therefore limited by the operational hours of the stock market. Real estate has notoriously bad liquidity as it takes months to convert the underlying asset into ready cash. Bitcoin is therefore one of the most liquid assets on the planet due to its round-the-clock market uptime. And for those of you who don't know what liquidity means, we've also mentioned this in the case study, and liquidity refers to the ease with which an asset or security can be converted into ready cash without affecting its market price. Yeah, so just real quick, like on, on the whole liquidity thing, like if you've ever tried to buy or sell a house, it's not a week long process. I mean, in the best case scenarios, I suppose it can be. Uh, and there, there's lots of really cool fintech companies that make this process a lot easier. But in general, you're going to spend weeks to months before the like from the time that you're looking at the property to the time that 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 deed is signed and in your name or in your company's name. 
And so, yeah, MicroStrategy could have sat down and taken a year and a half to buy $500 million worth of the best properties in, in America. They could have done that. But here's, here's what Michael Saylor says about that. He says, okay, we do that and it takes a year and a half. Um, how much of our $500 million is still there, right? A year and a half later, with a 10 to 20% inflation hit on that money, uh, they've suddenly lost 50 to $100 million, right? So they were able to acquire the Bitcoin that they acquired over the course of two weeks, all of it, without affecting the price at all. They got it um, like during the time that they purchased the Bitcoin, the Bitcoin was staying around uh, 10,000 US dollars and they really didn't bump the price up or down, which is really, really quite cool. You know, that's a little bit surprising. And when I it's read this surprising. quote, yeah, but when I read, read this quote, it said, uh, can be converted into ready cash without affecting its market price. I'm not sure if that's entirely true, though, because they would have to do it in chunks if they didn't they did. want to move the market price again, though. So is there liquidity for four hundred and twenty five million dollars worth of uh, Bitcoin right if, now? Right now. That's, and, a, that's a good question. I don't think there is. <laughs> uh, and also, you know, let's assume that it is. If they liquidate all of that in one go, that's going to affect the market price for sure. Yep. But I don't think, I'm not sure if exchanges allow you to um, put in a purchase order for that much at one time. Yeah, I don't think that they do either. It would also be really, really dumb of you to do that because you'd, you'd crash the price on whatever exchange that you're working on. And... Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, Michael Saylor himself has stated, look, we're going to hold this Bitcoin for 100 years. They're, they're not selling. They're not selling at all. He's uh, he's, he's also bought 17,000 Bitcoin for himself, like as a personal supply that he intends on leaving to his kids and grandkids uh, when he passes. He's, uh, he's like, what, 55 or something like that now? Oh, he's pretty young. He is pretty young. So yeah. he'll, he'll have it for a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's pretty cool. So Another part of this case study, we talk about why buy Bitcoin, and that's after the $500 melting ice cube. This, this case study is purely about the strategy that MicroStrategy used to convert their cash reserves into one asset only, and that is Bitcoin. So one reason that you may not have thought of or it may not have come to mind immediately is the network effect that caught was uh, was set in motion when they made this decision and then they acted upon it because microstrategy i hadn't heard of microstrategy until they bought bitcoin i'm sure a lot of other people who had a stock in microstrategy didn't know of bitcoin um, but now they have so it's kind of like a, a two-pronged network effect where bitcoiners bitcoiners all over the world now know of microstrategy and talk about it as an example of a company that has made the decision to put their money into this asset that, every, that that Bitcoin is considered to be a hard asset, a hard money. And there's people also who either held MicroStrategy stock or were in the traditional stock market not paying enough attention to Bitcoin or any attention to Bitcoin, who are now forced to look at what Bitcoin actually is or why this decision was made, why this was a practical decision. Um, and that, that's one of the network effects. Yeah, it forces people to pay attention just simply because of the sheer volume of this decision. And furthermore, even if you don't believe in Bitcoin, but if you hold the MicroStrategy stock, you indirectly hold Bitcoin. Or yeah, yeah, that's another cool little side effect of what uh, what happened with MicroStrategy. Basically, you know, if you're holding MicroStrategy stock, you're also a part owner of that company. If you're part owner of the country uh, company, 
you're a part owner of the Bitcoin that they own. And so, you, you know, you can go out and buy MicroStrategy on the NASDAQ or through your stock portfolio and expose yourself to the price movements and benefits of Bitcoin. And so just for reference, they're up about 100% right now on, on their investment. So they invested $425 million and that's basically doubled. So their treasury has doubled. I would say that's a successful uh, recovery slash um, stopping of the melting ice cube. They just kind of perma froze the ice cube if we're keeping with the analogy here. Uh, yeah, it's, it's quite remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just looking at this case study to uh, find the other points that we wanted to talk about. Um, and I think that this particular quote needs to be um, a little you know, elaborated on a little bit. So on page 22, there is a quote that goes like this. An asymmetric bet, trade or investment is when the potential upside of a position is much greater than its potential downside. Yeah. So what that means is that Michael Saylor was looking for something like Apple or Amazon, like what those companies were in 2006. So those companies were still maturing, still growing. Uh, if they, if Michael Saylor would, were to bought buy those those tech stocks in 2006, he would expect that maybe they'd go down by 50 percent. But it, at the end of the day, like in five or 10 years, they would maybe go up by a factor of 10 or 20 or 25. And that's exactly what happened is because these companies actually know how to leverage that network effect. Network effects are, are exponential in nature. So with every person or node that gets added to the network, the value of the entire network increases exponentially. And so what uh, what an asymmetric bet is, is, uh, is something that could go down by half, but rise by a factor of 10. So Michael Saylor bought in Bitcoin at about 10,000 US dollars. He was prepared to see that 10,000 US dollar Bitcoin go down to 5,000 US dollars a piece and be okay with it because he's, he sees the network for what it is. It's, a, it's a, the internet of money. It's not, it's not just Bitcoin. We're not just talking about Bitcoin here. We're talking about the whole thing, the whole network, all 10,000 plus nodes of the network, all uh, 100 million people around the planet, all the people that are using it as a money. That's what he's looking at, right? He's looking at the network effect of the internet of money and like, oh, okay, we're early. We're early on Bitcoin. We're really quite early. Yeah, I can see that some people might think of this decision as gambling. Or irresponsible. Or irresponsible, both of those things. And to to put it in um, a, a different narrative, something that we're not um, using right now, it is a gamble. I, I, I disagree. Okay, well, yeah. it is a gamble in the sense that he took a risk to... Um, he, he took a risk with his money because the upside of taking that risk was much greater than the downside of that risk. And um, the same thing can be said for a gamble, except gambling has a negative connotation to it. And if you want to agree that, yes, that was a gamble, then sure, uh, without the negativity attached to it, because that is also akin to taking risks. And in entrepreneurship, taking risks is encouraged because, yes, you might fail but you've he got to work towards succeeding exactly and the thing that he definitely has the risk-taking gene <laughs> <laughs> um a really really big one um and yeah so I, I wanna, yeah i disagree that it was a gamble to buy the bitcoin but i i do agree that he took a gamble 
where I think he gambled was walking into the boardroom and saying, hey, everybody, we should buy Bitcoin because the board could have been like, yo, our CEO just lost his marbles. He's talking about buying five hundred million dollars worth of Bitcoin. Um, how do we get our CEO out of the room, out, like out of his seat? Like he could have like really torched his career if his board did not take him seriously. The gamble was was proposing it in the first place. I'm like, if I'm if I'm thinking about Michael Saylor and like the process that they went through, uh, I would imagine that he thought of this idea. Maybe we should buy Bitcoin. And then he's like, OK, well, in order to do that, I'm going to need the approval of my board. Maybe I'm crazy. <clears throat> Maybe he thought he was crazy. And the best way to figure out whether or not he's crazy is to put it against the four other people that he trusts most with the company's money. And if they've all arrived at the same decision, I wouldn't call that a gamble. I would call that a strategic, deliberate plan to protect their money. Yeah, well, like I said before, the word gamble can be perceived as something different for different people. True. Um, and if someone wants to perceive this as a gamble... Then, then sure, based on your definition, if you're talking about the same thing that we are with respect to risk-taking, then sure, it, it was a gamble. And you know what? what? Whether or not it pays off, we don't know yet. I, I still think that it's too early to tell. You, you talked about how he, uh, or not he in particular, but the company's cash reserves that are now in Bitcoin have gone up by 100% because of the price of Bitcoin. Uh, but, you know, it's only been, what, four months? September, October, November, just, yeah, four months. Yep. And we're just going to have to wait and watch. And about the whole craziness thing, Keegan, I feel crazy sometimes. Oh, yeah, I know me that too. you feel crazy too. And it's, oh, man, are we crazy to be talking about <laughs> this internet money? We talked about it in that in the bubble episode, I think, which was the previous episode. Yeah. Are, are we in a bubble? Are we, in, are we just, you know, insane to... Uh, put so much time, attention, focus... Money. Money. <laughs> um, and really redirect our careers into talking about this internet currency um and and then you know we give ourselves reasons to make sure that we <laughs> we are okay but you know we have doubts about ourselves too and i think my mom always used to say this is doubt is good wise people doubt she you said wise men doubt but i just want to be gender friendly so wise people doubt themselves and i think we would be foolish to think that we know what we're doing we we know exactly how everything is going to play out and that we didn't doubt ourselves at all with certain decisions for every step of the way. True. Yeah. Well said. I like it. Thank you. Not to be confused with uh, doubting yourself intrinsically and, <laughs> and doubting the fact that your decisions are um, not not the greatest or that you don't Yeah, we've value. got a bit of a mantra, don't we? Like it's uh, it's yeah. don't bet against don't yourself. Best, yeah. And it's like, okay, you got to stand beside your own decisions at the end of the day. Exactly. Yeah. And even if that is having a little bit of doubt, that's still betting on yourself. If you're going to go through that, sit with that feeling and then resolve it at the end of the day. But um, that's that. That's a side philosophical um, argument, not argument, statement. Should we just like mention a couple of the other parts of the uh, the, the case study and then and then wrap up or... <laughs> You're asking me this question. Okay. Yes. So um, um, the rest of the case study after, oh man, there's just so much here. Let's just read all of the things that <laughs> Let's just read it top to bottom now, starting now. <laughs> no, I mean um, everything that is covered. So starting from the index, we talk a little bit about what 
we do who we are keegan and myself Murgakshi. that's just a page yeah that's actually a good this is a good time to like interject our, our offer like we have an offer at the end okay. of this case study and uh, the offer is that we can will help you whether you are an individual or a business uh our offer is that we'll help you plan strategize and then buy bitcoin if this case study resonates with you you want to protect yourself and the power of your the purchasing power of your reserves whether you're an individual or a business bitcoin will do the same thing for you and this is this Give us a call. Uh, if, even if you disagree with the case study, we'd love to hear from you. This is a, oh, an yeah. open discussion. I love nothing more than a healthy argument. I love it when people tell me that I'm wrong and then are willing to tell me that I'm wrong about something. And, and then how we, you're wrong. And how I'm wrong. And okay. then we talk about it. Because, hey, I could be wrong. I don't want to say that I'm right about everything that I know. So I am open to changing my opinions and um, beliefs on something if you make a healthy argument. So there we go. So after we talk about who we are, there's a quick preamble um, and that dictates exactly what the tone of the entire case study is, gives a little bit of a briefer on Michael Saylor, then not an individual decision. That's where uh, the board is talked about and how Michael Saylor didn't, wasn't the central authority. There were uh, five people involved. And then there's the $500 million melting ice cube. And we've we've talked a lot about uh, that because it's important to know the root of the problem. Yeah, and what, what that actually means. Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. And then the process of buying Bitcoin. Why buy Bitcoin? And we focused on that a little bit too. Um, yeah, because it's not exactly the easiest thing in the world to go out and buy $500 million worth of Bitcoin. It was a really fascinating process to hear Michael uh, Saylor describe getting a hold of all that Bitcoin and how exactly that's done. Yeah, yeah. We, we focused a bit on why buy Bitcoin and there's a lot of subheadings in that. And then we have talked about never sell Bitcoin. And that's something that we is known as HODL, which is hold on for dear life. Michael Saylor says that he will never sell his Bitcoin. And be, just to elaborate that a little further, <laughs> he bought it for the next hundred years. And do you know exactly what that means? You'll just have to go read it yourself. Um, and then after that, there's Saylor's personal supply, because like Keegan mentioned earlier, uh, Michael, Michael Saylor has acquired 17,732 Bitcoin of his own. Yeah, he actually did that before going to the MicroStrategy uh, micro board and suggesting it to them which i think would be a credibility provider uh like so he would go in and say look look everyone i i bought seventeen thousand bitcoin for myself i'm really invested in this please take me seriously yeah, yeah exactly and then microstrategy educates on bitcoin um, yeah so this is actually pretty cool so michael saylor owns a ton of domains he bought a bunch of like four letter domains in 1996 and you know what if you know anything about internet web domains you know that basically every four letter domain.com is uh, is worth or could be worth millions of dollars. So we just sold voice.com for $30 million. They called him and was like, hey, do you want, do you want to sell it for 30K, $30,000? He's like, no, 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 no. And then he walked them up, walked them up to $30 million. <laughs> so we sold this domain for $30 million. He also owns hope.com, which I think is the most poetic thing that, like, about this whole story. It's like, okay. Like we, we actually talk about this, Murgakshi and I, uh, what if Bitcoin didn't exist in today's day and age and we're facing this inflation event on a global scale? We're facing uh, like a monetary crisis. I, I put it as a monetary, like I wouldn't have as much hope for the fate of humanity. I just straight up wouldn't. I know it sounds silly, but uh, Bitcoin does give me hope. And I think that's why 
Michael Saylor has hope.com directing people to uh, to the MicroStrategy education page. There we go. If it wasn't Bitcoin, I do think that there would be something else, though, just to hedge against gold, <laughs> whatever is uh, whatever its opposition is. Um, after that, we talk about broad reaching implications. And there's a couple of pages, quite literally a couple, there's two. And then there's a conclusion. After the conclusion, you know a little bit about what we offer. And then there is three pages dedicated to a glossary of terms, since there are some terms used in this um, case study that you may not have heard of before, or you might want to understand a bit better. And they're all mentioned in the glossary. So this is the 31 page case study we've built for you. The link to get access to it is in the bio. How am I saying bio? The, the show, notes. show notes, as well as the two episodes where Michael Saylor has been interviewed on it's again, what Bitcoin did and the Palm podcast. And it, the Palm podcast is the one where he talks about uh, voice.com and yeah. Um, yeah. And then what Bitcoin did is where, so there's, he's actually been on what Bitcoin did twice. They did like a back-to-back -back episode. And he tells an amazing story about how he lost 92% of a million dollars in Argentina due to government imposed capital control, which is one of the things that the company was a little bit afraid of, of happening again. So they're like, yeah, Bitcoin, it's immune. It's immune to this capital control. There you go. And when you're ready, if you're ready, if you want to be ready, we build your transition <laughs> into Bitcoin. Like Egan said before, we plan, we strategize so that you can buy and we can be your subject matter experts for that. Speaking That's about ready, uh, you can email us at ready <laughs> at gofullcrypto.com. Yeah, absolutely. And then just something that we talk about almost every episode is if you enjoyed this, this particular episode and have been listening to us, tell a friend about it, tell a colleague about it. We would love for other people to hear all of this content that we're producing so that they can benefit from having knowledge of what cryptocurrency is all about, what Bitcoin is all about and how it's going to benefit their lives if they choose to see it that way. There we go. And yes, uh, give us a five-star rating and what is it called? A review? A review would be great so that more people can trust that we're legit and we're not talking out of our hats. That'd be awesome. Okay, there we go. That's my pitch. Awesome. Thank you everyone for listening and stay tuned.